When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This is the Project Upland Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt. On this episode of the show, we're talking upland hunter education and training for new hunters with the Rough Girl Society. Thanks for tuning in to episode number Project Up and Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Use the promo code PUP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. And by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food. If you want to get the most out of your dog, you need nutrition that holds nothing back. To help unleash your dog's maximum potential, check out the new Yukonuba Premium Performance lineup at yukonubasportingdog.com. And by CZ USA Shotguns, shotguns designed with the Upland Hunter in mind, from the Bob White and Sharptail side-by-sides, to the Upland Ultralight, Wing Shooter Elite Over and Unders, and the CZ USA Project Upland Crowdsource Shotgun, available for order now. Learn more at cz-usa.com. And by Garmin, dog training, tracking, navigational tools, whether it's the Garmin Alpha 200i, the Pro 550+, my Phoenix Watch, for the Zero S1, Garmin's got something for you. When they build something, it is always of top quality and function. Learn more at Garmin.com. And finally, by Dakota 283 Kennels. One-piece rotomal design, frame steel door, and the new Dakota Guard, an EPA-approved antimicrobial additive used in small quantities during the product's production. Protect your dog and your kennel. Gets a whole bunch of nasty stuff, bacteria. You don't want it. Dakota 283 recognizes it, and it is just one more way. Dakota 283 is committed to keeping your pet safe. Learn more and get your next kennel at dakota283.com. All right, in just a moment, we are going to be talking with a couple of Rough Grouse Society members from Pennsylvania all about an event they have planned for June for new upland bird hunters, bird dog handlers, people seeking knowledge, education, and training around those subjects. We're going to talk all about their stories and all about the upcoming event presented by the Ruffed Grouse Society. But first, we're going to go to the Project Upland Inbox for just a moment. All right, this week, I got an email from a listener of the podcast. He listened to our episode last week with Brent Pike, specifically 
He wrote in about the part where we were talking about the use of permethrin. And Brent mentioned a method that I have been told many, many times by many different hunters about going to a fleet and farm type store, buying a permethrin product and diluting it and then using it to dip your clothes into, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I'm not going to read the email word for word, but Bob wrote in asking about where he could find that product and looking for more information. So in an attempt to help Bob, I did a little research and I discovered something that I think we should probably mention to the Project Upland podcast listeners. If you heard my conversation with Brent last week, I have to warn you that in my reading, I found that going and buying any old permethrin-based product and dipping your clothes in it is probably not a good idea. And it may even, in fact, be illegal. I don't know the specifics around the legal nature of this. I will put a link to this article in the podcast notes on today's episode. And I will simply say that the article states, if you're going to treat your clothes with permethrin, please only use permethrin products designed to be used on clothing like the Sawyer products that Brent and I did mention in our episode last week. So a little public service announcement there for the Project Upland podcast listeners. If you caught last week's episode and you're interested in using permethrin on your clothes, you can definitely do that. It is effective, but you got to make sure you use the right permethrin product. So thank you to Bob for writing in and asking me that question because I learned something new and now you have all learned it as well. All right. In a related note, I'm going to let the Pike Gear Wingman Vest and Garmin Zero S1 giveaway run one more week. You can still go back to our episode last week with Pike Gear. Click on the link on projectupland.com. Enter the giveaway. Take the survey. I will draw at random one lucky winner next week and announce the winner on the next episode of the Project Upland podcast. Stay tuned for that. And a quick reminder to everybody listening, if you love the Project Upland podcast, please feel free to leave us a rating, leave us a review in your podcast app, subscribe to the podcast, share the podcast, write in to the Project Upland podcast inbox. You can email me at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. Send us some feedback, a guest suggestion, tell me a hunting story. Love to hear from my listeners. And with that said, we're going to jump into today's episode and welcome into the conversation and onto the Project Upland podcast, members of the Rough Grouse Society, Tom McPherson and Tommy Launer. All right, guys, we're rolling Project Upland podcast. I am joined by Tom and Tommy. This is going to be a test of my interviewing skills here. Hopefully I can keep you guys straight, but uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation today. We're going to talk a little bit about Rough Grouse Society, an event that these guys have been working on, and uh, happy to have you on. Thanks for joining me, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us, Nick. I really appreciate it. Yeah, same. Thanks for having us on. Tom, why don't we uh, why don't we start with you? I think you and I have been chatting, at least chatting a little bit over the years about mainly about dogs. We kind of have some uh, similar interests in that regard. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell the listeners a little bit about you? Uh, sure. I'm uh, my name's Tom McPherson. I'm from Butler, Pennsylvania, uh, which is uh, about an hour north of Pittsburgh. Um, I have uh, English setters, much like you do, um, and that's sort of where the where the connection came, I suppose. I'm actually uh, on the list right now, waiting for uh, waiting for for another setter. So, uh, pretty excited about that. Um, I uh, I guess I guess I got into hunting whenever uh, whenever I was a kid, like anybody else. But sort of through college, that that sort of you know um, went away for a little while. Um, yep. You know, I didn't I wasn't really into the big game, the big game hunting thing that you know sort of became a thing there. Um, you know, the the early two thousands. So. Um, you know, I, uh, I decided I wanted to be a grouse hunter and I, uh, I went for it and, and just sort of jumped right in with both feet and got some dogs and started looking for cover. Good deal, man. Was grouse hunting a part of your early hunting experiences way back when? Uh, it was not actually, okay. um, sort of how the grouse hunting came in was, um, through fly fishing actually. So, um, I spent a lot of time, uh, tying flies and I really, really liked, uh, grouse feathers for some of my flies and, uh, they're, you know, grouse feathers aren't that easy to come by unless you hunt them. So here came the dogs. <laughs> you decided to take control of your feather supply chain a little bit. That's right. That's right. That's awesome. T- 
Tommy, how about you, man? Introduce yourself, a little bit of background on you. So, uh, yeah, again, my name's Tommy Lawner. I, uh, I have right now two short hairs and just got a poodle pointer puppy. Um, born and raised in Pennsylvania. I am in St. Mary's, which is middle of nowhere. It's uh, beautiful, just hunting everywhere um, in cool. between Erie and Pittsburgh. Um, did not grow up in a bird dog family. My family actually raised beagles for a while. They got out of that right before I got into hunting. But uh, big game hunter, weekends at camp. Um, been doing that since I was three, four years old. Um, got into bird dogs because, uh, you know, big game hunting is much fun as it is for when you're actually right there about ready to pull the trigger. I wanted something a little bit different. Um, met a great professor in college who... Uh, really just a good guy all around and somehow another hunting came up told me he had dogs and i said that's great um the next very next weekend i was out at the game lands just taking the shotgun for a walk during squirrel season and met the guy coming up out he had two grouse sticking out of his bag and two beautiful female short hairs and he said let's take a walk and about two hours later i'm on the phone saying where do i buy a puppy and uh, that was, what, 13, 14 years ago, and it has just been a, uh, a pretty evolving obsession since then. Um, so shortly after college, I went out west, worked for a few lodges for a couple of years, um, really dove into it. And uh, I had the very fortunate and lucky instance that that happened. I met some really great people in the industry, um, really great friends, and I've just had uh, pretty phenomenal mentors and now a few people that I, uh, I'm happy to call peers so a uh, little unique, but uh, just really lucky, really uh, really good path so far, and absolutely obsessed with uh, bird hunting. That's awesome, dude. When you were working for the lodges, are you, are you, were you upland guiding out west then? Yes. So um, first lodge was a little bit of everything. We did whitetail, which I didn't do a whole lot with. It was waterfowl and upland, um, all wild birds. And then I worked for a couple of put-and-take lodges after that that were all upland. Um, really good experiences at all of them, vastly different, but uh, tons of fun. Did you have your own dogs when you were out there, or were you, or was that not part of the process yet? Yes, I did have my own. Um, okay. I had my oldest one for the duration of it. I got the, the middle dog now at the last lodge I was working right before I, I unfortunately had to grow up and become an adult. Um, so he didn't get a whole lot of exposure on that, but, uh, and then the lodges, they all had just a kennel full, which was great. So I got to see every breed out there. So I have a feeling that certainly a lot of that played into like your education and knowledge. I mean, what was it like being in that position with your dogs? I mean, do you think it really helped you as a, as a dog handler? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, and, and part of, I'm sure what we'll touch on later, how this all started. When I got into it, it was, I knew one guy who had one breed of dogs and I hung out with him a lot. Um, got out to the lodge and learned that I was very lucky. I hadn't made any big mistakes. Okay. So (laughs) that's probably the best way to put it. Cause I, I learned a lot from guys that had been guiding 25, 35 years um, guys that had different methodologies, different breeds of dogs, different styles. So I really was able to be lucky and get a crash course in a few short years of, hey man, this is what might work better for you, or here's what's worked for me in the past, why don't you take a stab at this? So that it definitely, it propelled me ahead just light years. You know, getting your first bird dog can be a huge deal and it's kind of like, you know, very consuming, but then like, at some point you take a step back and you realize like how little you do know it's just like you and that dog and you probably have a very strong bond with that but what you don't have is if that is your first dog you don't have that that breadth of experience with you know different types of dogs and different situations and that's where people that have been doing a long time really come in handy oh absolutely i mean the first year just for example of how green i was i loaded up my truck everything i had to head out to north dakota and my dog sat shotgun all the way to north dakota everywhere no back yeah no crate just he was my shotgun rider and now you know here we are a dozen 13 years later and i wouldn't dream of taking my dogs anywhere not in a crate yeah so did the clients have to ride the back while your dog was up front <laughs> uh, no he would sit in the back seat and okay. <laughs> he would lean his head on the shoulder of whoever was sitting shotgun. 
<laughs> oh, perfect. That's almost like that's almost like a bonus though for the client. <laughs> yeah, everybody got a kick out of it. The other guys are just sitting there shaking their head at me like, "What are you doing?" But you know, guys got a kick out of it. Let's. I guess before we jump really deep into the mate the meat of our conversation today, I'd be curious. You guys are Pennsylvania grouse hunters. Let's let's hear a little bit of update last season how things went for you good bad indifferent tom start with you sure um so last season was actually um i've been i think i've been at this about five years now um so last season was actually my best season so far um the grouse have uh rebounded a little bit with the low west nile year that we had last year which uh was great to see um but we are not as blessed as you may be in the upper great lake states let's just put it that way um sure you know, I think, uh, I think last year, um, I averaged about 1.4 birds per hour. So, okay. Do you have some, do you have some hunting men or some friends that you hunt with that have been doing it for a lot longer that kind of, kind of give you some context on where things are? Uh, actually no. So that's sort of where, where we're going with this whole conversation. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, literally for the most part on my own, I have, um, one guy that's about, uh, I'd say about 45 minutes from my house that raises Britney's, um, that helped me out a little bit with my dogs. Uh, he had some birds available. Um, but other than that, it's been, uh, me and wearing out boots. That's a good way to do it for sure. <laughs> how did, how did you and Tommy meet up? Uh, actually through rough grouse society. Um, okay. so this would have been, uh, last year in the spring, uh, we went to a trial that, uh, Tommy was judging at actually. Um, so it's, uh, it's almost like a, like a chucker challenge. Um, so we met there and then, um, later in uh, the fall, we both, um, were huntsmen for, uh, the rough grouse society. Our, our chapter, um, does a hunt in uh, the Pennsylvania wilds. Uh, so North central Pennsylvania and, uh, both of okay. us were huntsmen there and that's sort of where this all kicked off. Got it. Tommy, how about your last fall, last season? Um, better than the prior three. I'll, I'll put it that way, um, you know, okay. really over the last few years, honing in on some areas that I'm, I'm lucky enough, you know, where we have the, uh, the upland bird hunt every year where guys come in. Um, I live right here, so I'm hunting my home unit. I'm here all the time. I'm out with the dogs. I, I really get a lot of time to sit right in this area, and I have a handful of places where they've either done, you know, cuts 12 to 18 years ago. They've done some burns. Um, it's better in those areas, but I also remember, you know, 25 years ago when I was out just walking with my dad and we'd kick up five, six grouse. So, um, you know, I see a slight rebound. Tom's correct. We had, we had a couple good years in a row for the West Nile. Um, habitat is the biggest thing. If we have decent habitat, we have birds. Okay. So, and, and I'm relatively familiar, I guess would be a good way to put it with sort of the Pennsylvania grouse situation, West Nile virus. I know Lisa Williams is kind of at the forefront of a lot of that research. And I've heard her comment in interviews that, you know, as, as this trend downward trend in the grouse population started showing itself, you know, Lisa, I, I think she recalled like an example specifically where she got a call from somebody that said, you know, I'm in the prime habitat and I'm not finding the birds. And so my question for you, Tommy is, you know, what, what is your feeling? You kind of alluded to it there where you're saying where there is quality habitat, there are birds. Do you feel like you walk into stuff that's prime habitat and there's just no birds and it's seemingly inexplicable? Um, I won't call it no birds, but we're okay. definitely, you know, and, and I am lucky, you know, you asked Tom about mentors. I, I have a very good friend who had setters for you know, three decades. Um, he remembers the days of, 12 to 15 flushes in an hour hunt, um, you know, going out for a morning and getting 30 flushes. Um, so through his lens, through that kind of context, um, you know, we're definitely, we're low on where we should be. You know, there's areas of really good habitat where I'm getting three and four contacts consistently in an hour or two hour walk. But, you know, you're going 15 to 20 minutes finding one, 15 to 20 minutes finding another, and we're not walking slow. Yeah, that's interesting. What about, give me an idea of the sort of the, like the landscape, are you hunting and it may, maybe both, but are you hunting big tracks of huge public land that has really good habitat? Are you hopping around hunting smaller pocket like covers? What does the landscape look like for you, Tommy? 
for me, I'm hunting um, a couple of pretty decent sized tracks. I mean, we're lucky, you know, the one game lands that's literally two minutes from my house. It's 24,000 acres. But okay. within there, it is small pockets of where there has been a cut recently or a burn. Um, we still have a lot of big old growth timber. So I'm yeah. really... I'm making a lot of movement in those small areas or big areas to get to small pockets of it. Yeah. Tom, how about you? Is it similar? Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, we're, we're hunting a lot of, uh, you know, state forest land, um, state game lands. Allegheny national forest is also, you know, up in that area. Um, and it's, that's sort of the way it is. You know, you may get out of your truck for an hour or two back in the truck and head to the next place. So it's, we're always looking for cover. Yeah. When you guys, when you see the, the big mature stuff, I mean, do you get big, are they oak, heart, maple stands where there's just, you know, everything is shaded out. There's nothing underneath. I mean, can you get into any mature stuff with a good understory and, and hunt it? Uh, for the most part, I would say it's uh, the big hardwoods with not a whole lot underneath. Um, yeah. Oaks, maples, we have a lot of beach up that way. Um, okay. Yeah, so not not a whole lot underneath that. Um Probably, I would say the best. Uh, what I what I did the best in last year was blackberry canes. To be honest, uh, a fresh cut with a ton of blackberry canes in it, and there were birds there almost every time. Yeah. Anything you would add there, Tommy? I would agree with that. You know, occasionally you'll see um, big pieces of mountain laurel sitting next to some of the hardwoods, but it's usually almost always along some type of an opening, whether it be a field yep. or a road. Um, you know, certainly all of the the roads on the game lands, you know, where they've done any type of management cut to kind of open that road up. Um, you know, you're finding birds along there, but for the most part, when we find that big hardwoods, it's just, you know, how do we two-step it to get to the next piece of cover? Sure. Yeah. How about hunter access? And I don't know that I want to use the word pressure, but I just mean, if you're going to go out bird hunting, do you have pretty... Fr- pretty much free reign to kind of go and hunt a spot that you want to hunt or do you find yourself hopping around looking you know you see trucks parked in in the spots you want to go to you got to search around what does that look like for you i know personally for me um and tom i know you and i've touched on this a little bit we there's a lot of times that when we're out there um, i'm not running into another bird hunter i see a lot of deer hunters okay. um, and, and almost always they're very polite you know i i got an orange vest or a bell or a beep or something going all the time and, and Usually that's the only people I'm running into, um, and th- I get the same question every time. Hey, are you finding birds? Um, people actually kind of like seeing us out there because they're hoping it comes back too. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. People stop me all the time, you know, on those back roads up there, and, hey, I saw a grouse run across the road down there. Hurry up and get your dogs down there and see if you can get them, you know, so everyone's, everyone's <laughs> sort of rooting us on a little bit. Yeah. The majority has really, we've seen a huge shift into the pheasants up here. Okay. And that's a lot of the, that's, I mean, that's pheasant release. I, I had, uh, I had a guy from PA on uh, a few months back and we talked about that quite a bit. Yeah. So, you know, for the average guy working five days a week, um, they're running out. Uh, we have a great program, you know, for 25 bucks, you get your stamp and you can hunt all year. I do it a couple of days a week, either before work or after, if I have an hour sometimes, um, but we see a lot of traffic there in the grouse woods. No, you might see in a, a half day hunting, maybe one truck with a box in the back. And that's yeah. every third time I'm out. Yeah. So that's a good thing for you guys in the moment. But the the underlying reason why you're not seeing more people with dogs is maybe not a good thing. Exactly. <laughs> How about other hunting? Do you guys do out-of-state trips? I know, Tommy, you spent some time out west. But are you guys doing any out-of-state trips, anything like that, Tom? Uh, yeah, so uh, this will actually be my my second year uh, going. So we skipped last year because of the COVID, uh, you know, crisis. But uh, the year before we went to Michigan, we were in the, um, the Upper Lower Peninsula. Uh, okay. It was it was great. Um, and then we're actually planning on going back this year again to stay in the same place. Uh, I'm hoping I have that pup by then so I can put her into a pile of birds. So when you went to Michigan to hunt. How did you feel like your, and this was a couple of years ago now, and you, I think you said you're a handful of years into it, but how did you feel like your knowledge base, kind of your confidence transition? Did you feel a little bit out of place looking at the cover in Michigan? Did you quickly find some similarities and see the patterns? What was that like? Uh, truthfully, I, I thought that it was easier in Michigan, um, whether it's because there's more birds, um, you know, just inherently being easier. 
Um, but you know, everything you read about grouse cover is, um, you know, find the aspen, find the conifers. That isn't mm. necessarily Pennsylvania's grouse cover. Um, you know, we don't have aspens like you guys do up there. Um, yeah. Probably the closest thing we would have would be like black birch or something. Um, and, the, and the birds really like that too for the catkins and everything. But um, I guess uh, you can go by what you would expect to be grouse cover. What you hear about would be grouse cover in Michigan where maybe not necessarily so much in Pennsylvania. Sure. Yeah. Tommy, how about you? Out-of-state trips, anything? Um, I, I do. I like to do one every year, um, but mine are usually for waterfowl, actually. Okay. I have the waterfowl bug pretty bad, and we just we don't have a lot of that here. So there's a, a good group of buddies that travels every year to upstate New York, and uh, I've hit a couple of those usually every other year. A um, couple buddies and I have a place in Missouri we like to hit down in the boot heel. Um, I am trying to plan a trip to get back out to North Dakota, um, and that would be mainly for upland. Sure. Pretty good waterfowling out there too, though. Yeah. Phenomenal. <laughs> little bonus for you. Yeah. Uh, Tom, I, I meant to ask you, you, yeah, I almost slipped my mind, but I kind of know this, but you said you got a, you're on a list for a pup. Tell me about it. Yeah. So, uh, I'm actually on a, on a list with, uh, Northwoods bird dogs where, where your, uh, setter pups from. So, yep. um, I've been waiting here, so I've I've waited through two litters. I'm I'm on the third litter for the year, so I'm hoping I can can squeeze in here right at the wire. Male or female? Uh, female. Yeah, female this time. So uh, my my uh, my other dogs are male, so um, we're trying to female this time. Okay, and I know we talked about this, but remind me what? Uh, so so the two breedings are done. What breeding are you waiting on now? Uh, so now it's uh, Dublin, Dublin, and uh, Rob Roy, I believe. So. Okay, and Roy is well. I know the I know the owner of Roy, and I think he is. Gosh, is he a full brother to Grits? I yeah, can, I yeah, can't he's recall. a full brother to Grits. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay. So my pups out of Grits. Yeah. So some some pretty similar stuff there. I'll have to go back and refresh myself a little bit. But what what are you most looking forward to? Excited about the new pup? Oh man, um, I just <laughs> I, I I love uh, I love those pups. Um, so, uh, like I said, I've been in it like five years and I, I had got two pups back to back, uh, like six months apart. So, um, <laughs> I, I like, I, I guess I like a little bit of craziness too. Um, but, uh, I, I like the, watching the light bulb come on. I, I like putting that, that, uh, that puppy into all those birds and just watching it develop from, you know, from not knowing anything to, you know, a finished product. Yeah. Would you get two puppies six months apart again? Uh, yeah, I think I would. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you do just like that. A little yeah, bit of chaos. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, honestly, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. Um, my, the, the second of the two, he was, uh, 12 weeks when I brought him home. So he was almost housebroken everything when I got him. So it was almost like just not having a, you know, a, a, a pop. Um, and then I was doing the training for my other dog anyway, and it was easy enough just to, to take them both. Um, was that a, for, was that just a fortuitous opportunity or did you get one pup and you were just so jacked up about it you decided to get another one yeah that's what happened <laughs> yeah that's that's exactly what happened so uh, I, awesome. I yeah i like i said i jumped in with both feet and uh i i loved it from from the very first second i started so it, it didn't take long and i decided i was getting another one good for you man dog training wise you've again five years you've obviously been through a bunch you've got a couple of dogs you brought up what are you what are you thinking about this time around that you are planning to do better or going to do better? What's on your mind in that regard? So for sure on the first one, I put a lot of pressure on myself not to screw it up. I know everybody talks about that. Um, I know that feeling. Yeah. yeah, I was so, so worried about making him gun shy for whatever reason. And uh, yep. actually my first dog, I, I think he was bulletproof out of the box. Like, I don't think that that dog would be gun shy no matter what. Like I just, it just wasn't in the cards for him. So, um, then the second one, I was a little bit more laid back and let him develop a little bit more naturally. So I think that's, uh, that's the approach I'm going to take with, um, with the next one too. Um, we just put him into as many wild birds as possible. Um, you know, we made sure he knew what he was doing on birds and that he was introduced and gun broke and all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, I just took him out and took him out and took him out. So that's going to be my plan again. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. You're going to do well there. I, I can definitely tell you that being a little bit more laid back and not so, not so much pressure on yourself. It's, it's better for you and better for the dog. That's for sure. 
Yeah, yeah. The only the only tough thing is uh, I got a couple hour ride to grouse cover, which is which is tough. But right. I, I do have uh, I do have woodcock, uh, you know, twenty minutes from here. So so it's it's I, I put them in a lot of woodcock in the spring. Um, it actually just so happens to be in one of those places where they stalk pheasants as well. So um, you know, I shoot a lot of a lot of woodcock in the fall, just you know, right local, and uh, it's nice to have that resource. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, let's let's jump into the the main event, I guess, pun intended. Um, tell me a little bit about what you guys have planned for this Rough Grouse Society event you told me all about. Tom, you want to start that off? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so this actually all started back at the uh, Upland Bird Hunt in uh, November. Um, Tommy and I were talking a little bit, and um, you know, we just were discussing like for someone that doesn't know what's going on or for someone that's new into the game it is so so hard to figure out you know what to do or or even you know how to find a dog like any of that stuff is just so so hard whenever you're new like that um and i was sort of discussing my experiences and um you know we decided that we could probably make that better and, and and uh also you know help the rough grouse society out um you know by giving some exposure and and hopefully getting some more membership you know by by uh, recruiting some some new uh, some new bird doggers and making it a little bit easier for everybody, uh, you know, decrease that barrier of entry. Yeah. So give me the let's start at the top. Give me the high level, the sort of the when and where. Sure. So this will be um, in uh, North Central Pennsylvania, uh, right outside of Johnsonburg. Um, it will be June twenty sixth, from about eight to noon. I think is uh, what we're shooting for. Um, and, uh, I think we have a great day planned for anybody that's uh, looking to get into the upland hunting. Okay. So tell me about your ideal sort of attendee. You kind of hit that at there. Somebody that is maybe at the very beginning of their upland hunting pursuit, want to learn more, trying to get started. That's, that's where you're aiming this at. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, also the people that may have uh, got a bird dog, you know, just, just so happened to get a bird dog and now they want to maybe try and work with it and, uh, get it on some birds. You know, we're trying to, trying to recruit that group of, uh, millennials that, uh, are looking to be adult onset hunters. Sure. Maybe somebody that's kind of, they've started their upland hunting journey, but maybe they don't have a bunch of friends that do it. This would be probably be a good place to go to hopefully meet some other like-minded folks. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then after the, uh, after our event, we're actually, um, looking towards, uh, hooking everybody up with a mentor if we can. Okay, cool. What's the, what's the day going to look like? Um, so we're going to have a few different, um, a few different stations, I guess would be the best way to put it. Um, we're going to have a habitat talk. We lined up a uh, forester from, from the area that's going to come in and talk grouse habitat, how to find birds. Um, and then we're going to have a few, uh, different puppy demonstrations. Um, everything from, you know, I got this puppy. Now what, what do I do in the first year with it? Um, to a little bit more advanced, uh, you know, puppy training on birds. Um, also, uh, I think a lot of people maybe don't realize to have a bird dog, you have to have birds. So, um, you know, we're, we're going to have a little segment in there about raising your own birds. If that's something that you would want to do. Okay. Pigeons or quail or. Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, Yep. Yep. I have a little, uh, pigeon coop in my back and we actually just had some chicks. So I'm looking forward to getting them ready to go for the, for the training season. Nice. Any shotgun related stuff, any shooting or anything like that? We, we aren't planning on that right now just because of the, uh, a, the, the safety constraints of where we're going to be at. And then we thought that that might be a little more, um, you know, hopefully, if you grabbed a dog and you're coming to this event, you're already shooting. But if not, that's going to be a little bit more where the mentee-mentor relationship kicks in. Okay, yeah. Um, plus, I'm, I am i don't know about you, Nick. I apologize for not knowing this. And, Tom, I, I think we've talked. I'm a shotgun nut, so I'm probably not a good person to be involved in that type of talk. Um, I'll end <laughs> up telling people that they need 10 different shotguns for everything. <laughs> I'll overwhelm people. You may not be wrong, though. You know that. I I think I'm right, and if you can tell my wife that, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> what is the What is the next shotgun that you need, Tommy? I I absolutely need a sub gauge side by side. There, it, it's a shame that I don't have. So I I over the last probably six years have hunted exclusively with a 28 or 410 for Upland. Okay. 
and it's uh, it's just a travesty that I haven't been doing it with the side by side yet. So um, I'm actually leaning towards a 410. <laughs> Man, I uh, I haven't I've never shot. Well, I take that back. Back when I was a uh, you could call me a partridge hunter. I shot a 410 every now and then. I never owned one, but uh, I did that a little bit. But I I like the 28. I haven't shot it a ton over my 20 gauges, but I'm kind of I'm a big fan of the 28 and its capabilities. The 28's a phenomenal gun. Um, a handful of years ago, my wife bought me a CZ Super Scroll for my birthday, and she she outdid herself. I told her never buy me anything else because it can't beat that. And the only problem is that the tw- that gun's too pretty to carry in the woods. So, CZ Super Scroll. I feel like I've heard of that, but I don't I don't recall it. Is it? It's an over under. It's an over under. It was a, a match set twenty and twenty eight gauge barrels, limited run. I think that there was either one hundred and eighty five or two hundred and eighty five made. Wow. Obviously, um, you still have it. Yes. Yep. It it is wonderful. Um, but now I, I am thinking about leaning towards an Italian gun. Um, I recently picked up a an over-under from um, Italian Firearms Group for competition. So I'm, I really like their lineup of side-by-sides. So I, I got a few months yet to research before season. Good deal. Yeah, if you can... Uh, if you can find one i mean i know i know people are cranking out guns and and buying and building them and selling them but it's it's crazy out there it it is and i tell you what i I love seeing the uh not only the sub gauge but the side-by-sides have gotten so much more attention recently that there's a lot of people making really good looking ones really high quality Mm -hmm. um at all price levels you know you can I see people on forums all the time, or I'll get a call from a buddy that I haven't talked to in two years that knows I love guns. Hey, what have you heard about this $800 side-by-side? Or, you know, you see them from 800 up to a couple of grand. You can really yeah. find anything, whether you're entry-level or collecting. Yeah. Yeah, t- certainly there's been, a, there's been a pretty big interest of late. And, and again, I, I you know, I've been bird hunt a long time but i haven't been crazy about shotguns for a long time so it's as it as it kind of dates back i'm i know it's kind of ebbs and flows really but right now there's there's options out there for people and it's a good thing to be a gun nut than a gun buyer <laughs> yes now I, I recall that from seeing your i think it's your instagram profile look like you're kind of doing some competitive shooting let's let's just sort of slide into that a little bit Tommy, tell what do you do for shotgunning and, and shooting, and we'll kind of relate it to hunting as we can. Well, I, I uh, initially got into it. A, a good buddy of mine who I only met through hunting, um, he is big into our local skeet and trap. His daughter was actually um, the skeet high school national champion a few years back, oh. and he, he said, hey, you need to come out and do this in the summer. So I shoot um, skeet and trap in the summer, a little bit of sporting clays when we're able to. I've done some registered shoots for that. And then I do uh, sporting clays throughout the winter when I'm available. Um, it's just, it's awesome to get out. Um, similar to hunting, you meet a lot of guys that are really into it. And then there's a good group of guys that just does it occasionally like I do. Um, yeah. I do love to, I mean, I try not to miss any, especially during the summer, the skeet and trap. So that's usually two days a week. Um, you know, it doesn't, it's not perfect for hunting cause you know, I'm, I'm pre-mounting the gun. I know what the bird's going to do. Um, I sure. still miss a lot of them, but yeah. getting out there and shooting, especially skeet more so than trap for grouse hunting, pheasant hunting, um, you're getting those angles and you're consistently practicing, which is great. Yeah. I know that I, I was and, and I'm not sure how you came about it. Like, had you done a ton of just game shooting and shooting prior to stepping into the clay target? Yes. Shoot? Okay. Yeah. And, and what I was going to say there is I know that, you know, growing up, I did a lot of just, just strictly game shooting, very little clay target shooting other than my buddies and I would we'd go buy a box a week before the season and then, you know, drive out somewhere and shoot them. But when I really started shooting sporting clays and a little bit of skeet, but mainly sporting clays, because that's kind of what the what the club around here focuses on, but just being able to break targets and see sight pictures that you kind of have to force yourself to see. I know that, that like really, I saw like huge strides made in my wing shooting just by, by shooting clay targets that way, because 
prior to that, I think I was just a, just a total snap shooter and you know, that works and it doesn't work. I completely agree with that. And, um, that's part of the reason that gave me the confidence to fully switch over to the sub gauges. Sure. Um, sure. 2019, I actually made it a personal goal and I went the entire year, didn't shoot anything, but my little cheap over and under 410, um, <laughs> did an entire season with it. And at the end of the season, I, you know, I got to say I cheat because I use pointing dogs, so I don't have far shots most of the time, sure. but, um, I don't think that's something I would have been able to pick up in October at the beginning of season if I hadn't shot 1500 or 2000 rounds throughout the summer. Yeah. Tom, where are you at with shooting, shotgunning, wing shooting? I mean, was that like pretty new to you or have you been shooting for a long time? Clay targets, anything like that? Uh, yeah, I would say that I was more of a, a game shooter, you know, when I was younger. Um, I was in a couple, um, you know, trap leagues, uh, probably when I was like 15 or 16 years old. Um, actually when, when I was, uh, that was one of my first bird hunting experiences. I was, um, I think I was 16 and I ended up winning the, the men's, uh, trap league, uh, for the club I was at. And, uh, you got to go on a bird hunt if you won. And, um, I will never forget that as long as I live. We hunted with a, uh, a wire hair, German wire hair. Uh, his name was Oscar. And, uh, just seeing that dog run full speed and, and walk up on point, I was like, Oh yeah, we're doing this at some point. Like this is, this is pretty cool. So it, it took a while to come to fruition, but, um, you know, eventually we got there. Do you remember the first grouse you killed Tom? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I actually, uh, shot one off the ground. I think I was maybe 13 or 14 years old. Uh, just, you know, walking down the logging path and, uh, uh, you know, shot him off the road and, you know, you'll never forget the first one on the wing too, which is, which is also pretty cool. So yeah. Tell me about that one. Uh, yeah. So pretty, pretty similar actually. Um, I had my, my younger, my younger dog out. Um, I think my older dog was hurt actually. He's had some, he's had some injury issues. Uh, the first couple of years I had him, uh, he impaled himself on a log one year and had to have a pretty Ouch. extensive surgery. And then, um, the next year, the very next year in a woodcock cover, he, uh, he cut like the, the back of his, uh, the back of his arm where all the arteries were. We had blood everywhere, man. So, uh, we had to rush him into the vet. So he was out of commission there for a little while, but, um, so I just, I was, I was one dog. I usually, you know, braced them together, but, um, I was down to one dog and walking this logging trail. And, um, it was, it was nice that, you know, I, I think I mentioned this to you whenever, uh, whenever Hartley got hurt was I got to put a, a ton of attention on that younger dog, a ton of mm -hmm. attention. So, um, really brought him along quickly, but, uh, I was with a friend of mine and, um, we were just walking the road and, um, the dog sort of acted birdie around this little pine tree and sort of walked up on point a little bit. He broke point and, uh, I was already getting ready and, uh, I didn't, honestly, I didn't even, uh, really realize it until afterwards when my, uh, my friend mentioned to me, he said, you knew something was going to happen there. I don't know how you knew, but you were like already getting yourself ready for a shot. So, um, <laughs> you know, the dog was just birdie. I could just tell. Um, and then he, he, uh, he locked up and we got the, you know, the bird up in the air and, uh, you know, one shot and he came down and got the retrieve and everything. Um, it was actually one of the craziest grouse tails I've ever seen. It must've got pulled out by a, a predator or something, but half of it was regular size and half of it's real short and stumpy. So oh, he's probably, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's probably my, my, uh, most unique grouse tail I have in my, in my gun cabinet. So <laughs> Tommy, do you remember your first grouse or two? Um, yeah, I do. I remember I was, so I, I grew up again with a hunting family. We were at yeah, camp yeah. every Saturday. Um, and we were walking the woods, no dogs. Um, and my dad and I split up from my uncle and my cousin and, uh, two grouse went up and I was, I think 13. It wasn't my first season. And the way my dad tells it is that I turned around to run because it just scared the living daylights out of me <laughs> that first time. And I'll never forget hearing it. Um, Yep. And then, you know, he kind of watched him go down and he's like, well, let's walk over and see if we can circle. And I was able to get one of those two. Um, thankfully, I was prepared and he's coaching me into the whole thing. So that sure. one was pretty special getting it at my family camp with my dad. Um, and then I uh, honestly don't remember any more um, after that until I got my first dog. And the first one I got with him, I'm looking at it right now, sitting on a mountain, my wall. His first season, we... Uh, I jokingly call it the PA Upland Grand Slam. We got two pheasant, three woodcock, and two grouse in one day. No and way. <laughs> the entire day, I just won't ever forget. That was with your first dog when it was young, too? 
first dog, first season. So he was born in March. That was November 10th. I have a little plaque on the bottom of the mount. I was kind of opposite of Tom. I, I didn't know what I was really doing, so sure. I didn't screw him up at all. But yeah, that was that was just Pennsylvania game lands, a place I knew had pheasants. Um, we got two real quick. Walking back to the truck, we just hit a flight of uh, woodcock, and I was able to chase down a bunch of them with him. And uh, that kind of got us steered off path, and we ended up walking the edge of the game lands, and he pointed a grouse. After that one, we went chasing a little bit more, and it took about two hours to find the second one, but we got it done. Bet you guys were fired up that day. Yeah, you couldn't have punched the smile off my face. <laughs> You've never, never done that again, I, I assume? No, I have not. and I have gone out and I've tried hard, and the woodcock has been the hardest piece. Really? Yeah, I just, I don't spend a lot of time focusing on them outside of one training area, and we don't sure. allow hunting in that facility. Okay. So we have natural woodcock. Um, my, I have a pup now that's four months old, and she's been on woodcock a couple times a week. Um, but we can't hunt them in there. Oh, man, that is, uh, that's excellent. Love sharing some stories and recalling some of those memories. I mean, certainly as you well know, like the, those, some of those first experiences with the dog, they can really be solidified and Chris got a mounted grouse to even remember it by. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It's something that, uh, I'm always amazed when somebody says that they went bird hunting with a dog and they just, they say, yeah, it was fun. I'm like, well, how are you not obsessed with it? You got to watch a dog <laughs> lock up. You got to see the bird go to wing. You're, you're not wanting to do this every day. I, it just doesn't compute for me. Yeah. I, I agree yeah. with that. Uh, so any, anyone I've ever taken, uh, you know, I've exposed a lot of my friends that haven't really, uh, you know, been big hunters or anything before. And uh, I've yet to find someone that doesn't think it's absolutely awesome. Circling back to new hunters a little bit and kind of like what you guys are aiming to do, you know, sort of help people along that path and get them some education, some training with this event. What are you guys facing? If anything, I'm just kind of curious, like, are there, what are the challenges or the obstacles that you have in front of you as upland hunters? Is it just finding enough places to go that you can get into? Are you trying to be a better wing shot? Like what, what things are, are you thinking about as you approach this upcoming hunting season, Tom? Uh, I'm, I'm looking at getting better still every, every year at, um, identifying cover and finding more places. Uh, I'm on the constant search for more places as I'm sure, you know, all grouse hunters are, um, you know, you only get that prime habitat for so long before it's, you know, before it's done. So, um, mm -hmm. uh, that's uh, every year I'm looking to add spots. I think that's probably my, my biggest thing. And then obviously with the new pup coming, uh, I'll be looking to bring her along too. So, yeah. Tommy, how about you? I would say I'd have to agree, and that, that was probably the biggest thing that when Tom brought this to me was, you know, um, Habitat, um, Cover ID. Um, we talked, you know, obviously I had a very different background in hunting than Tom did, um, and especially my, my intro to dogs was much different. Um, but the one thing that really seems to not be shared, and I get it, I'm guilty of it, is where are you finding grouse? Well... I don't want to tell somebody where I'm finding them, but I want to educate them on how they're finding their own. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of my best friends, big setter guy, we talk everything about hunting except where we go. And I think that's one of the biggest kind of barriers of entry. You can get a lot of help. There's wonderful podcasts. Um, you know, Durrell is one that I constantly hear people talking about. They love his podcast. People love yours. You can, Ronnie Bame, a lot of great yep. podcasts where you can get out and Hey, I, I need advice on breaking a dog, steadying a dog, fetch to hand, whatever it may be. Um, you know, the one thing that we don't do is, hey, how do I find more grouse? Like the dog part's great. I love that. Um, where are we finding them? How are we finding them? Because it, like Tom pointed out, you know, the spot that I'm hitting right now, it's just coming into its prime over the last two years because I hunted it three, four, and five ago. And I wasn't seeing what I'm seeing now. So I don't want to burn that spot out, but I know I might only have this for a handful of years. So where's the next piece of cover? Yeah, Th those are those are great points. And I think there's a reason both of you guys kind of mentioned that same one. Finding and identifying habitat, I think, is we have probably more tools and, and more information than we ever have. But in order to in order to really be able to it's just one of those those things where you have to you have to have the right blend of 
you know, people will like to say boots on the ground and, and boots on the ground is you can't substitute that for anything else, right? Like you have to be in the cover, but you can be using, you can be using the podcast and the articles and the information that you're absorbing until you get out there and you actually connect the dots for yourself and you see it and you kind of see the cover evolve. I mean, that's, that's what solidifies it, but that, that takes time. That's not one of those things that you can, you can't just listen to a podcast and totally change the game overnight. Like it's just a, it's a continual process of learning and putting yourself in those cover types and being able to observe and see the patterns for yourself. Oh, absolutely. So sort of to relate that back to like my fishing background, like I could drive down the road past the stream or whatever. And I can tell you, I can for sure catch a fish right there. You know, um, but it's not the same. I would have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Right. Um, So, but then like in the grouse woods, like I want that same, that same knowledge base where I can, where I can drive through and say, okay, I'm fairly sure that we'll find a bird in that, in that cover right there. So, yeah, that's that sixth sense from, again, you know, putting your mind to it. And that can be consuming information, listening to podcasts, reading articles, reading books, but then also living it hands-on experience, being in the field having having the you know flushing enough birds and the right stuff to where you know almost subconsciously you just recognize yeah this is grousey right and there's no way to come back you know come by that other than doing it the experience yeah yeah exactly but all that aside some this event that you guys are planning you know it's a great place to start especially if you got a forester coming in somebody that can shorten your learning curve help you identify what you need to identify identify different species types edge mixes different cover types like that's what that's where you got to start that's the starting point and after that you know you take that knowledge into the field and you let it stew up a little bit absolutely i wish i had that exposure whenever i first started to be honest um i'm almost embarrassed to say how many wide open woods i walked through with dogs hoping to find a bird (laughs) tommy tell me a little bit more about uh, your dogs, we, we kind of heard about Tom's and kind of where they're at, but I want to know a little bit more about your dogs. Like where are you at as a, as a dog trainer and thinking about another dog soon? Um, so I just picked up one. She's four months old and this okay. one is a poodle pointer. Oh, that's um, right. Is, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, new for me, a little bit different. Um, so I have, I currently have two short hairs. Um, my oldest is since retired and he, uh, I always get a funny, look if the breeder hears this she's going to yell at me and say he's a dk because he he's half dk um so he was you know more of the big kind of uh slow moving a little more versatile um had him for several years and again like i said i i didn't know what i was doing i was kind of out of the box got lucky that i had a few people that were able to guide me um, got a little more confident and wanted something a little little more high octane so i reached out and found a, a field trial bred short hair so a lot of people see them and don't even think they're the same breed um, you know, I got one that's 90 pounds and top end of the height and the other one's 55 pounds and he just looks like a Ferrari <laughs> and uh, and I got what I was asking for he's he's high octane his first cast out of the trucks usually between three and four hundred he'll run all day um, so he was fun because it I realized quickly where I was lacking in training Again, very lucky that I have good friends that uh, I feel pretty confident I can buy a pup and bring him or her along to what I need for hunting. Um, but the poodle pointer, I'm giving myself a little more of a challenge because I am going to run through the NAVDA system with her. And, you know, as far as, you know, my dogs are finished for the average hunter, but they're not uh, trial finished. You know, I don't have them broke to release, um, something that I'd really like to work on. I haven't done, you know, double blind marks with any of them. Um, my older one, I did use a ton for waterfowl and, uh, and he took to it just so natural. So I got very lucky there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm always learning. Yeah. What, what led you to the poodle pointer and kind of what are you, what's got you excited about that? Well, my, uh, it really kind of started as a conversation one day. We, we have three children and they're young, um, all under the age of six. My wife is at home all day with them. God love her. And she just kept making comments about, hey, I filled another pillow with hair today, filled another pillow with hair today. And I said, you find me a a hypoallergenic, non-shedding hunting dog and I'll buy one. And I wasn't two weeks later, one of my buddies was up at the house and he made a comment about getting a poodle pointer and he was so excited. And 
I had seen one when I was in Kentucky uh, 10 years ago. A guy that I was working at a lodge guy brought one in, and it was a male, and he was a really good-looking dog, and it you know kind of looked like a wire hair, um, and I thought that'd be kind of neat. So I started researching more, and uh, everything that I read, everybody I talked to, I spoke to about a dozen breeders. I spoke to a, a professional trainer who's had a few of them in. Um, they definitely seem more like the the DK style of the short hairs. A um, little more plotty, a little more biddable, um, more natural on the retrieve, love the water. So I, I kind of got myself worked up and excited about it. So I was able to, I got very lucky, um, was able to get on a list and, and they had uh, more females than they thought male. So I was able to jump ahead probably quicker than I should have. Awesome. You know, I have, uh, I have yet to hunt over a poodle pointer. I've definitely talked to a number of people that are you know love them and and excited about it so it'll be that'll be neat how how's the first four months been are you seeing anything that you're kind of like oh wow i wasn't expecting that um you know i i, I went into this really trying to be open-eyed saying well maybe it'll take her longer to pick it up than my other ones everybody talked that they're very soft and i have not found that to be true at least with this one um she has great bird sense i mean i had her up at my camp the second day I brought her home, uh, she was out with my two older dogs, and the the oldest one he's retired and he moves at about her speed. <laughs> he's he's pretty slow, and he yeah. ripped into a woodcock and she was right behind him. Um, I've had her out with the older one. She's finally starting to uh, expand out, get a little more range, but uh, good bird sense. She she's pointed. They're not the most stylish. They're not the hardest, but she's four months old. Um, yeah. she's backed naturally, which I thought was great. She was flagging a little bit like, am I supposed to do this? I think I'm going to do this. <laughs> so that was great. Um, the one thing that shocked me, no matter how much everybody told me they're like a duck in water, um, I didn't believe it would be that much. I mean, she, if she sees a puddle, she's trying to swim in it. Really? Um, yeah, we, the one local, uh, training grounds, there's some ducks that are always on the pond. And she is running every time. I mean, full little puppy. She's getting, you know, seven, eight feet, but she is just hitting that water charging. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I'm four months old. Sounds like she's had some, some really good exposure and she's got a long way to go, but you got, you know, nothing but time. Yeah. And again, I'm, I'm so lucky where I'm at. Um, it's literally, I, I have a six minute commute to work. So I'm home, I can throw her in the truck, I can grab one of the other two, and we are um, boots on, in the woods, collared up, 10 minutes from the house. That's great. That that helps a lot. So circling back a little bit, again, for perhaps a final time to the event. Actually, I wanted to ask you guys real quick, Tom, what led you to Rough Grouse Society? <laughs> That's funny. Actually, um, when you had Tim Flanagan on the podcast, I, I reached out to him. Uh, I was already a member of Rough Grouse Society. I just didn't realize, okay. you know, how uh, how to get involved or or where to go. So that's that's also part of this. Uh, you know, we wanted to get this out there so everyone knew where to go and that that this was happening. Um, but I reached out to Tim and he put me in contact with um, the uh, Upland Bird Hunters chapter of Rough Grouse Society, which is in North Central Pennsylvania. Um, we're also partnered with uh, the Allegheny chapter, which would be my home chapter uh, out of Pittsburgh. Um, so he put me in contact with them, and uh, honestly, I was welcomed in immediately. Um, I went to that that first trial and met a bunch of guys that you know I really liked and we got along with, and uh, it's sort of been history from there. That's awesome, man. So you're saying that the the podcast has helped make some RGS connections? For sure, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'll chalk that up as a win. That's good. How about you, Tommy? Did you uh, were were you pulled in by Tom? No, no, but uh, my path was definitely a little different. You know, I, I'm a member of RGS, NWTF, PF. I just kind of yeah. did them all every year. Um, but I wasn't super involved until, uh, I'm trying to think, it was a couple of years after I came back from out west, one of the local clubs, the Rolf Beagle Club, where we were holding this event, yeah. they had really kind of lost all of their beaglers, and they were turning over into a bird dog club because it was becoming more popular. So buddy of mine mentioned, hey, they're having this trial. Let's go. I showed up to the trial. It was the first one they ever had. Um, it was an RGS fun run, which we still host that twice a year now. Um, ran my dog, was talking to the woman that ran the club, um, kind of knew who each other were. It's a small town. 
And she said, hey, what do you think about coming out and judging for this? And then from, that was, oh, geez, four or five years ago. So now I've been in charge of judges for the last couple of years, which is how I initially met Tom, which then she got me into being a huntsman for the Upland Bird Hunt that our chapter does, which is it's yep. great. It's a three-day event, tons of fun. Um, so I've just got more and more involved, got to meet Ben Jones, which he and I had a connection, a, a good buddy of mine used to work with Ben when he was with the Game Commission. Sure, uh, yeah, cool. Ben is... you. You know, I know you've talked to him, but uh, you can walk up to him and you'd have no idea he's the guy running the whole show. He's he's just another bird dog guy. He is as nice as can be. Yeah. So he and I sat and talked for a while. Um, I actually hooked his buddy up with a puppy. Um, awesome. And then, uh, yeah, it's just kind of dove in more from there. Like, if they have an event and they need help, if it's local and I can get to it, I'm going to go help. I'll volunteer, do whatever I can. Good, man. That's great to Great to hear. And as a fellow Rough Grouse Society member, I appreciate the work and the effort you guys are putting in, man. Thanks, guys. Yeah, Thank no you. problem. Hopefully it goes uh, well. Yeah, if, if we make it easier for, for one person to get involved, I, I consider it a success. Absolutely. Yeah, so to kind of wrap up on that note, we are we are talking Future Hunters and Handler's Day. It is Saturday, June 26th at the Rolf Beagle Club, uh, North Central PA. How can folks register? Is it free, Tom? Yes. Uh, so we don't have any cost for this uh, at this time. Okay. So we're we're uh, we're look, just looking to help people out, um, looking to add to Rough Grouse Society membership. So I, I think we're going to have memberships available there, but that's sure. that's not a requirement by any means. Um, so we're I, I think it's going to be great. We're gonna we're really going to uh, you know help everyone out and. Um, Hopefully, you know, bring in the next generation of Rough Grouse Society members and, uh, you know, bird doggers. Yeah, good deal. Well, I will definitely put a link to the event flyer when I publish this episode. If if somebody out there listening wants to get in touch with you guys about this event or just maybe bird hunting in PA, when we want to connect with you, something we talked about today, where could they where could they look you up at? Instagram maybe, Tom? Yeah, sure. So to register, um, you're just going to send an email out to uh, the regional director. Uh, that's Lisa Rossi. And like you said, you'll have that uh, linked in the show notes. Yeah. Um, and then uh, anyone can reach out to me on Instagram. Um, my Instagram handle is uh, Team McPherson 86 um, So yeah, go ahead, reach out and I'll get you fixed up. Good deal. How about you, Tommy? Yep. So um, Instagram is probably the best way to find me. And my handle is 34TSL all pictures of puppies and kids, but uh, anybody wants to reach out and talk about hunting, um, again, I'm by no means an expert, but uh, I love talking hunting. Good deal. I'll drop both of those links in the show notes so people can find you if they want to. But as I said, guys, thanks for chipping in and helping out the Rough Grouse Society as a fellow member. And I know a lot of the a lot of the folks listening will appreciate that. And hopefully some people out there listening are interested and can attend on June 26th. That would be awesome. Appreciate it, guys. I wish you the best of luck with the event. I'm sure we'll keep in touch. Tom, I want to hear about that puppy and see some pictures, and I look forward to hearing about some some more hunting stories from you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hopefully, this is successful, and uh, you know, more chapters will want to uh, implement the program. And uh, you know, if, especially if you're in prime grouse cover and need a couple guys to come out and show you what to do, we'd. <laughs> I think I know a couple. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Maybe I maybe I could use some help with an event like that out here, and uh, I got I think I got a place I could put you guys up for a few days. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, we would. I'm sure <laughs> both of us would take you up on that. No questions asked. Hey, yeah. On that note, Tom, do you, are you coming out here to pick up your pup? Yeah, as long as um, you know, as long as they're still in Minnesota. So I guess if it's uh, if it's this year, um, you know, if I don't have to wait till next year, I'll definitely be headed out to Minnesota. So if you want to meet up for a beer or something, we can probably do that. All right. Well, yeah, you'll have to keep me keep me in touch on your schedule and what's going on there. But yeah, let's do it. Yep. Sounds good. All right, Tom, Tommy, I hope I didn't mess that up during the interview, but I'm sure you guys are cool either way. I appreciate your time today. It was it was fun. And uh, again, I hope you guys uh, hope you knock it out of the park with the event and we'll look forward to hearing more about it. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot for rearranging to get us on. We really appreciate it. No problem, guys. My pleasure. Thanks again, Nick. Thanks for tuning in to the Project Upland Podcast. That does it for this episode of the show. A quick reminder that the Project Upland Podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba Sporting Dog, CZ USA, Garmin, and Dakota 283. 
If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe or follow the show in your podcast app. Thanks again for listening, everybody. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Project Upland Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.